It's 12.08. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Let us start out with something I hope we can all agree on. I guess unless you're a Cubs fan or a Cardinals fan. What a great start to the Brewer season. Brew, who is producing the show today and always. Did you have, Did you watch that game last night at all? Listen to it? You were working. Okay, so you, I, I actually... Um, I, I ended up, the weather was so crummy last night that I kind of, I, I sat down and the Brewers quickly fell behind four to nothing. Game starts off, um, two home runs back to back. All right. First two Cardinals batters hit home runs. Then there's another guy that hits a home run. So I, it's like four to nothing. And my temptation was, I, I admit, I was like, okay, I'm just going to turn it off uh, that this game is lost. But, but I didn't. I, I stayed with them. And they, they mounted a comeback. That was four to one. And then in the eighth inning, they scored two runs. It was four to three. So I'm watching the game in the ninth inning, and the first two guys go out. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, okay, well, they came back. It was a good game. Maybe they can salvage game three in the series tonight. And then Christian Yelich comes up, and he's down to his last strike. It, it's, it's one and two, and he parks this one deep into, um, right center field. I mean, he first home run as a brewer. And, and actually, my wife was in the living room. I'm in the den. My wife was in the living room kind of watching something else. I said, Fran, you got to come in here. Look at this. They've, they've tied up the game. Oh, and she comes in. She, oh, my gosh, Mike, they were behind 4 nothing. I said, yeah, they've come back. It's 4-4. Four to four. And then Ryan Braun comes up. And Ryan Braun, up until then, has had two hits all year. One was the home run in San Diego that, that won the game. First pitch, boom, he sends it. And the minute it left his bat, you knew it was gone. And the Brewers win. It just, I mean... You, there's two schools of thought on this, and I am going to be the like glasses half full guy. I was talking to one of our sports salespeople today, and I said, "Okay, it, it's they're they're four and one," and I said, "Well, okay, the one way you have to look at this is they 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 could easily be one and four. Um, opening day, they they blow in San Diego. They they blow the lead in the ninth inning. You know, San Diego ties it." That game could have gone either way, but the Brewers won, so that's one game. The second game in San Diego, okay, they're behind by, what, three runs. They come back with the five runs in the ninth inning. They win. That's a game that they could have lost. They clearly won the third game. They clearly lost opening day. And, and last night was another game that you have to think, gosh, the odds were probably 95-5 to five that they were not going to come back and win, but but they did. So our sports sales guy says to me, well, you know, okay, I'm just a little bit worried because maybe it's going to be karma that comes back and, you know, they'll, they'll lose some of those games that they shouldn't lose later on. I said, no, no, no. I'm choosing to look at it the other way. I'm choosing to look at it as maybe every once in a while you have these teams that are teams of destiny and just everything goes right and you have these sort of magical seasons. And maybe, just maybe, for the Brewers this year, this is going to be one of those magical seasons. Wouldn't it be cool? I mean, just tremendous. They had 27,000 people at Miller Park last night. Um, the Cardinals are always a good draw. The Cubs are coming in. I, I will tell you this. It's And I, I said this after interviewing a lot of the guys on opening day. There is a really good vibe in that clubhouse. This is a fun team. They're playing winning baseball. They're playing good baseball. And it's definitely worth going out and, you know, reaching into your pocket, buying tickets. I I actually I have a press pass, and I bought a twenty pack of tickets this year. You know, so um, I'm going Thursday night, as a matter of fact. So I mean, it's it's worth it to go and support the team, and they're just a lot of fun. Speaking of that, during the two o'clock hour of today's show, sometime between two and three, 
Um, this week we're running, and next week and the week after that as well, I think, we're running our Welcome Back Baseball feature. And if you are the correct caller when you hear the Brewers theme song, you know, come see what's brewing, you will get a pair of tickets to go see the Brewers play the Florida Marlins on April 21st and a $50 gift certificate from our sponsor as well. Um, so, you know, check that all out. That'll be coming up sometime during the 2 o'clock hour of today's program. All right. Our number, 414-799-1620. Last night was election night. Some people are thrilled at the results. Some people are unhappy. Some people are in denial. We'll discuss it all in just a moment. It's 1213. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1216. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. More information is coming out about the shooting at YouTube headquarters in California. While such incidents with a female shooter are rare, they do happen. Gene Miller takes a closer look at 651 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. We're going to be talking about that in just a minute. Uh, Big story number one, the elections yesterday. Now, let us let us reason together. Rebecca Dallet, Milwaukee County Circuit Judge, won handily, um, 55, 56% of the vote. She ran as the Democrat-slash-liberal candidate in a nonpartisan race against Mike Skranek, who was the conservative-slash-Republican candidate in the nonpartisan race. You had a ton of out-of-state money that flooded in, um, in particular on the left. You had Eric Holder's group, um, Eric Holder, in my opinion, the worst unindicted attorney general in the nation's history. You know, his group, I think it's going to turn out that they put hundreds of thousands of dollars into this. You had robocalls being made by Joe Biden. You had Cory Booker doing endorsements. And again, this is all, this is all in a state Supreme Court race. But let us be honest, the left smelled blood and thought that this is an occasion where, you know, we can win this seat. And Wisconsin, is on the tip of the spear. I mean, ever since Governor Walker got elected in 2010 and you had the the, the Act 10 situation and the voter ID legislation all, liberals have been absolutely fuming that here you have this traditionally blue state and it's been co-opted by those evil Republicans and we have to do everything we can to try to build momentum. So that's why this this had become a battleground even though the state Supreme Court seat does not swing the ideological balance of of the race. That that being said, um, you know, Dallet won, and Dallet won handily, no question about it. She delivered, her voters delivered, in the traditionally Democratic areas that Democrats need if they're going to win the state. She ran up huge margins, like 85 to 15 in Dane County, um, huge margins in Milwaukee County and in Dane County, and uh, Michael Skranek underperformed, I think, throughout most of the rest of the state. Didn't do particularly well in the Fox River Valley. Won the Collar Counties, Waukesha and Washington County and Ozaki County. You know, won those what they call the Wow Counties, but but didn't run up huge margins. And that's what happens if you're running as a conservative and, and you don't do well in the Collar Counties, you don't do well in the Fox River Valley, you don't run up huge margins, and you get whumped in Milwaukee and Dane County. That is the way liberals win the seats in statewide elections. So why did this happen? Well, I mean, I think there's a couple reasons. Um, first of all, I like Judge Skranek. On a personal level, I like Michael Skranek. I think he would have made an outstanding Supreme Court justice. Having said that, um, 
he probably wasn't the ideal candidate for this race. Didn't have a ton of experience, had never been involved in a statewide race. He comes from a very small county, Sauk County, um, first time around in this, and just not known to the voters. If, and I say if, there had been a judge, higher profile, either judge or higher profile attorney or something, maybe the dynamic would have been a little different. I, I, I say maybe, and I don't mean to fault, fault this, but I mean... First of all, again, he was a candidate that had almost no name recognition starting out, and, and that hurt. Secondly, I thought the ads that were run on his behalf were or were run by his campaign were were just completely off the mark. I mean, they had an ad with him playing a tuba, for God's sake. All right, you've got Rebecca Dallet in California talking about how, you know, we, we should have San Francisco values, but we've lost our way. And you've got an ad with Judge Skranek playing a tuba. I, to me, it was it, it was just the, the wrong type of campaign to run. I, I think these ads, and I said this yesterday about the various candidates being soft on crime or whatever, I, I thought those all kind of wash out. But I don't think the ads that were run were were that great. So there's a little bit of blame I blame I put on the candidate. But that doesn't explain this all. It It, it just doesn't. I have been doing this long enough to have seen what we call wave elections. And a wave election is where the voters just simply reject a certain party, typically the party in power. You saw this in 2008. And you know I could go back further, but let's just take 2008. Barack Obama gets elected president. And I, I think at the end of eight years after George Bush, you had Republicans there was a fatigue factor. You had Democrats that were motivated. Plus, you know, uh, Barack Obama was going to be, well, he's going to be this hope and change guy. So he sweeps into office, and, and pretty much everybody with an R after their name ends up losing. All right. The Obama administration doesn't get off to a very good start. 2010, you have the wave going the other way, and Republicans, Republican voters get out, and they can't vote against Barack Obama but they're going to vote against everybody that's got the D after their name, and so they, they vote there, and you have Republicans that win everything. Same thing was true in 2014, where you had that, again, another wave election where the, the whatever personal popularity and electoral success Barack Obama had did not translate into what we call down-ballot Democratic candidates. So the Democrats lose everything. I have seen those type of waves on on both on both sides and it certainly looks like at least at this point in time you know 2018 is shaping up like a wave election um on on the side of of democrats in wisconsin you've seen that with the pickup of the democrats made for this 10th senate district in northwestern wisconsin you you've seen it in other elections as well and and again, it's some people want to explain it as saying, okay, well, maybe it wasn't the best candidate running and maybe people weren't as organized as well. But I mean, I think you would be sticking your head in the sand to suggest that there's not something going on nationally that is now translating into Wisconsin as well. Now, during the, the handoff, I was talking to Steve and I was saying, okay, I think that it would be naive to say that there's not also a Trump factor at play. And I've got two people who immediately texted me and say, Jeff, don't blame Trump. Well, it's not a question of blaming Trump. That's not it. 
but it's also a question of, of understanding the reality here, which is, I think, the anti-Trump sentiment has motivated and energized the left, just like an anti-Obama sentiment motivated and energized the right in 2010 and 2014. And those voters are mobilized. They're showing up at the polls and they are voting for the left, the candidates from the left, be they partisan or nonpartisan races. So it's not a question of blaming Trump, but I do think there is a Trump effect going on. I think Scott Walker gets it, even though he might not come out and specifically say it. And I think other politicians need to get it as well. I'm not sure I've got the answer as to how you stop that wave. I think in Wisconsin it's going to be a little bit different. But that's what I see going on here. And I think people need to wake up and realize this and figure out ways to energize themselves. All right. That's my take. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are we looking at a potential blue wave, or was this just another aberration? And is there a Trump factor in play here? Are people motivated to, quote-unquote, send a message that they're dissatisfied with the president, so they're going to vote against anybody that they think the president might support? 414-799-1620. And my answer to that is, yeah, I think that's what's going on. We'll discuss in just a minute. It's 1224, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Better listen up, because I come this way but once. The first step to understanding you have a, the first step to dealing with a problem is understanding that you have one. And for, for Republicans who look at what happened to Michael Skrenik last night and don't think that that is evidence of a potential problem building for November, you, you, you need to wake up. I think the governor gets it. I, I hope everybody else does. Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Jason. Um, wouldn't you give any credence to the fact that uh, liberals in Dane County and Milwaukee County have had a lot of high-profile races to come out and vote for that they were much more energized. That's why they turned up such huge, outstanding numbers. I well, mean, no, I mean, I, I, I think that, I think they were energized, but they they were energized to come out and and vote uh, against, in this case, Michael Skranek, who was perceived to be the conservative. I mean, I what were the high-profile races in Milwaukee County I mean, that that turned out voters? Well, like the. Um, uh, common council, all those people. Um, uh, Nepsum, that Gabe was trying to defeat. I mean, he had a lot of people upset with him. Or yeah, trying to get him upset. Well, yeah, but you're not. Ta- I mean, okay, so that that that's okay. That that's Glendale. Um, so I, I just tell you, in, okay, in the Lipscomb, uh, he, he ran against a guy named Schwartz. Um, there were about thirteen thousand total votes cast. I mean, no, I mean, I don't think that that was this. I, no, I guess I, I don't think that there was this huge motivator. Now, thanks. I mean, I, 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 were there were there local elections in certain individual districts that might have caused people to turn out? Um, okay, maybe maybe a little bit, but that's. I, I think again, if we're trying to explain that from what happened across the state, we're, we're missing what the big point of all this is, which is that there is a degree of of dissatisfaction. Let's talk to Dan on the South Side. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. I got two things for you. I do really think Trump is part of this. I really do. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, 
You, I've listened to the show not that much, often, but those two races are going to be in August. You said that there's no way that uh, Democrats can pick them up. I bet you're wrong. What, I'm sorry, what seats are we talking about in August? Those two, uh, those two uh, seats that are going to oh, vote on. Oh, you're talking, about the, you're talking about the special elections yeah. that are going to yeah. be in June. Well, I, yeah. I, think, I mean, I, that, that, thanks for calling. I mean, that's, that could be, I mean, one is going to be in the Green Bay area and the other one's up in, in that area as well. I guess it's, it, those are the special elections. Yeah, I think that the Republicans are going to end up holding those, but I guess part of it depends on who ends up running. If they lose those seats, yeah, once again, you're, you're right. It's another cautionary tale. Look, I, I understand that, that there's a lot of people that just don't think that Donald Trump can do any wrong, and, and this isn't about the merits of the presidency. It is about the reality that is out there that the Trump opponents are motivated. They are willing to run through walls to go out and quote unquote send a message. And the way they do that is by showing up and voting for people like Rebecca Dallet. And so far, the conservatives haven't figured out how to respond to that. And that's the challenge that a guy like Scott Walker has. Now, Walker is better positioned to do that than some because Walker has a record. Walker has a lot of loyalty among voters. And Walker is not going to get beaten in some of these areas and walker is not going to run an ad showing him playing a damn tuba when there's all these other issues that are out there so i mean it's going to be a different type of campaign but people need to recognize that this is going on and if you stick your head in the sand and kind of pretend it's not trust me i have seen these wave elections before um conservatives have been on the winning side a lot of times conservatives have been on the losing side occasionally as well and you got to see it coming. At least in this case, if you recognize the wave is coming, you can maybe figure out how to deal with it. Maybe. And that's, I think, one of the lessons from yesterday. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The, informa- the information the season is only five games old, but already the Brewers own a pair of wins. Went down to their final strike. They're back at it again tonight in the finale with the Cardinals at Miller Park. Bob and Jeff hit the air. 605 here on WTMJ. Okay, Gru is producing the show. Um, are you familiar? I always hate when we go down this route because it, it just shows me the generation gap between the two of us. Are you familiar with the movie Office Space? Oh, yes. So you have seen Office Space. Okay. The, the character Milton Waddams. You remember Milton? Milton, kind of the, the guy in the short sleeve shirt and the kind of the ill-fitting, the short sleeve shirt and the kind of ill-fitting collar and the tie. Milton's the guy that's, that kind of sits there and does nothing and is kind of concerned about his stapler, you know, and then, then he doesn't do anything. And so they keep moving him and moving him and moving him. And eventually Milton ends up in the basement. Okay. That, that character from Office Space. All right. In the real world in Wisconsin, the real world, the state treasurer is Milton Waddams. That, that's, that's what the state treasurer position is. The state treasurer, which is a constitutional office, but it doesn't do anything. I, I think, I don't even know if there's anybody that works there besides the tra- state treasurer. Um, over the years, the, the, the state treasurer used to take care of unclaimed property. Well, not that now that's handled by the Department of Administration or the Department of Revenue. But the state treasurer does almost nothing. It is a completely and totally useless situation. The state treasurer is Milton Waddams. And I, I would say that regardless of who the state treasurer is. It's not intended to be personal. The job has, has no significance. 
other than it makes $68,000 a year. If you want the best indication of what this wave was yesterday, um, there was a question on the ballot asking if we get rid of the state treasurer position. And again, so picture the guy with the red stapler doing nothing kind of mumbling, all right? The state treasurer himself said, yeah, we don't need this job. Do away with this job. And by a vote of 61 to 39, Voters Tuesday rejected getting rid of the treasurer's office. They voted to save Milton and continue to pay Milton $68,000 plus benefits for doing nothing. Now, you, you might say, why was this? And, and I actually, I know people, I know people who voted to keep the treasurer's position. And, and I said, why? I, 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 was, I was stunned at this because why? And the people I was talking to were the anti-Scott Walker folks. And I don't know, I mean, nobody was paying attention to this, but if you kind of go into the dark corners of the web, this is the argument that was being made to the left. This, the effort to get rid of Milton, to get rid of the guy with the red stapler, to get rid of the state treasurer's position, that's nothing but a power grab by that evil Scott Walker. We need the state treasurer to provide checks and balances for the governor, which is... It's nuts. I'm sorry. That's a nutty argument. All right. The state treasurer does nothing. The state treasurer has no ability to be checks and balance on any sort of government. But this was, again, this was the pitch that was out there. The Walker folks, the Republicans in power support getting rid of this office. There must be some alternative. They must have. This is going to be just terrible. Well, okay. Okay. It was simply. Uh, a reality that the state treasurer has become outmoded. It would be sort of like putting a, okay, we took out streetcars in 1923. It would be sort of like putting a streetcar back in Milwaukee in 20. Oh, wait, we're doing that as well. The, okay, the state, and yet, you know, 60 to 40, because the liberals got out and they were motivated to send a message to Scott Walker, so we're keeping the state treasurer. We saved Milton at the expense of $68,000 plus benefits. If you want to understand the potential wave, that's the race that you look at because the state treasurer, in all honesty, and I understand I'm swimming upstream, I understand 60% of the people that voted to keep the state treasurer, 60% of the people voted to do it, This it that it makes absolutely no sense. It, it doesn't. But it was people motivated to, well, there's going to be these evil Republicans that are out there, and we have to save this. And, and they turned up and they voted. So if Republicans out there don't realize that there are challenges moving forward, I mean, just I mean, just look at the Save Milton vote, because that's what the whole treasurer's thing was all uh, about. I mean, it was just... I, I Look, I love Milton Adams as much as anybody else, but it's just you, you didn't... You just didn't need this. It was just a, this was, this was the low-hanging fruit. This was a no-brainer, but people got worked up because of the politics of it and deep into the conspiracy theories, and they went out and they sent a message. Well, keeping the state treasurer's office, the message you send is, we're crazy. But, of course, we're also spending over $100 million to build a streetcar in downtown Milwaukee, so I guess that's kind of a given. All right, when we come back, 
big story in the Journal Sentinel talking about credit card fraud. It is a very, very well-written story talking about credit card fraud and identity theft. But the key to this is at the end of the story. I will share that with you in just a minute and get your reaction. It's 1242. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Baseball is back, and I want to send you to Miller Park. Be listening today to win a four-pack of t- I said two. We're giving a four-pack. Huh. Four-pack of tickets to the April 21st game. It's Saturday night against the Florida Marlins at Miller Park. And on top of that, you get a $50 gift card courtesy of our sponsor, MelvinMulch.com. We're going to be doing that giveaway sometime during the 2 o'clock hour of today's program. Um Boy, Miller Park is the place to be. All right. Uh, there was an interesting story. I, it, it's been in the in the print edition of the paper, but I, I don't know what day they ran it. But it, it's a very interesting story. I want to share it with you um, because actually the, the last part is the most interesting. Headline, five people, 62 credit cards, and a nationwide fraud scheme stopped by Milwaukee investigators. A year ago, Spencer Dixon and four of his friends went to Milwaukee's Mitchell International Airport to fly home to Atlanta. Two of his friends had purchased the tickets the day before at the American Airlines counter. The group showed up for the 6.53 a.m. flight as planned. They never made it on board. The Chase credit card used to buy the tickets was a clone created using a stolen number, and Milwaukee County Sheriff's detectives were waiting at the gate. The group was arrested and found to have 62 credit or bank cards between them, 47 confirmed fraudulent, and $17,000 in gift cards. Soon, detectives and prosecutors realized they had hit upon something much larger, a nationwide credit card fraud scheme. Okay, so we've caught four guys trying to blow Milwaukee, and they're part of a nationwide credit card fraud scheme. The scheme, this is the Journal Sentinel reporting, the scheme was sophisticated. The crew's leaders, identified by investigators as a um, guy named Dixon, Spencer Dixon, and Eric Spahn, would search for stolen or bank credit card numbers for sale on the dark web, hidden websites that can't be accessed without special software. Then they imprinted blank credit cards with the real names of their co-conspirators, known as mules, whom they sent into stores to buy gift cards or other items. Span and Dixon used a specialized machine to encode the card's magnetic stripes with stolen financial numbers. The cards could be recoded with different stolen numbers and used over and over again. Investigators noted the raised numbers on the front of the card frequently did not match the magnetically encoded numbers, so the number on the back of the strip. Okay, go without, you know, you don't have to be an expert in you know, identity fraud or credit cards, to recognize this is a pretty sophisticated deal that these people have going. When Dixon and Spahn were arrested in Milwaukee, each had an encoding device with them. The Milwaukee trip in April of 2017 was apparently Dixon's first time running the show. The 27-year-old um, texted with Spahn in advance, and they debated when to end their trip. We should be back before that, but if we're getting bread, I'm going wherever the bread takes me, laugh out loud, Spahn wrote. Later, Dixon tested, laugh out loud, I never want to be in a state more than three or four days. Um, Investigators linked the two men and their crew to at least 24 fraudulent transactions in south-central and southeastern Wisconsin between April 20th and April 22nd of 2017. They found at least 55 individual account numbers had been compromised 
The group's downfall came from an alert American Airlines employee. Okay, so you have these people that are stealing information. And if you have ever been the victim of credit card fraud or identity fraud, you identity theft, you know what a living hell that your life becomes. It messes your credit report. You have to cancel all your cards. You have to fight, in some cases, trying to prove that these were fraudulent transactions. It is a big deal. So now you catch these guys. They've been doing this. They're laughing about it. They've got the encoding machines, and they get caught doing this. Story continues. Dixon, Spahn, and their accomplices were arrested at the airport, and then they list the other ones. Each were charged with conspiracy to commit fraud, a felony. As their cases in Milwaukee County moved through the court system, Spahn and Dixon, the ringleaders, were out on bail. They did not stay out of trouble. On November 8th, five days after making a court appearance in Milwaukee, Spahn was arrested at a mall in Minnesota. Police said he had a scanning device, another encoder to make cloned credit cards, and arrested him with another mule, a woman. Between the two of them, they had 52 gift cards worth thousands of dollars, according to Minnesota authorities. So the guy gets caught in the Milwaukee airport. He gets released on bail. They catch him doing the same thing in Minnesota after he's made a court appearance in Milwaukee. As for Dixon, investigators had seized and searched his phone for evidence of fraud at his airport arrest. They noticed a photo created on April 1st, 2017, showing him fanning $100 bills. Um, et cetera, et cetera. It goes on and on and on. Okay, so this is a big deal. They have busted these guys. They've busted the mules. One of the two ringleaders, as soon as he gets out on bail, he's out doing the same thing at a mall in Minnesota. People's lives are, if not ruined, they are significantly compromised. So where are we going with this, Jeff? Well, you have to read to the end of the story. All of the defendants, except one, have pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit credit fraud, card fraud, credit card fraud. Spahn and Dixon, the two ringleaders, had other bail jumping offenses considered at sentencing. Two of the mules received, two of them received a stayed sentence and were put on probation for two years with 100 days in the House of Correction. One of the other mules is expected to enter a guilty plea later this month in Milwaukee County. She was she already received two years probation in Ozaki County for a related identity theft. The two ringleaders, Spahn and Dixon, were sentenced in the past couple weeks. Let's see. Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Michelle A. Havis sentenced each one. Now, these are the ringleaders. These are the guys that have the machines. These are the guys that have stolen all this. These are the guys that have caused all the problems. Michelle Havis sentenced each one to a year in prison and another year and a half on extended supervision. They were also ordered to pay more than $10,000 in restitution. At Spahn's sentencing, Havis, that's the judge, acknowledged he did not commit a violent crime. One year for being part of a, being one of the ringleaders in a sophisticated identity fraud scheme. The other people that were assisting in this, 
They get 100 days, three months, essentially, at the House of Correction, and they are put on probation. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. But look, I understand this is not a crime of violence per se. It's not like somebody, but, but here's the deal. You walk into a convenience store, a quickie mart, you know, with a, a fake gun. You stick it in the face of the clerk, and you should be going to prison for several years. And you get $25 out of the till. These characters had a sophisticated identity fraud scheme to rip off tens of people. And they would still be ripping off people if they weren't caught. Matter of fact, the one guy got caught, and he's just out before he's even sentenced. And they get a year in prison. This is where the outrage, in my opinion, is. Identity fraud, credit card theft is a big deal. And the idea that these people stole, instead of a fake gun, they stole with credit card encoders shouldn't make any difference at all. I think these are the types of crimes. If you want to shut it down, you got to send these people to prison for lengthy periods of time. 414-799-1620. And if you have ever been the victim of credit card fraud or identity theft or something like this, the idea that the person who has done it, who has also done it to tens or maybe hundreds of other people, essentially gets put on probation with some time in the House of Correction or gets to walk away. How do you react to that? We discuss. It's 1255. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. 107, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I didn't set down aggravated. I admit, I'm going to get progressively more aggravated as we go through these, the, the, the day with these different topics. I mean, seriously, in Milwaukee, we catch these guys who are part of a national credit card fraud scam they're traveling all over the country they've got these fancy encoders they are ripping off people's credit cards and using that information to steal from them after we catch them we turn them loose on bail and one guy ends up at the mall in minnesota with another credit card encoder uh, again ripping off people from that so they get sentenced and, and what happens well a couple of them get Probation with 100 days in the House of Correction. The two ringleaders get a year, a a year for stealing tens of thousands of dollars and not destroying, but messing people's lives up seriously. And we wonder why people do this. It's very difficult to catch these people. And if the penalty, I mean, it's just it's a simple risk reward thing. When you have these criminals that are out there and they have the opportunity to get a ton of money and they know, well, this is just going to be a white-collar offense. There's not violence involved in it here. I'm going to rip people off, and if it messes up people's lives, no problem. I'm only going to go to prison for a year if I get caught, and then they're going to put me on extended supervision. Well, I don't know. I was out on bail for doing this. I did the same thing, and nothing happened to me. It's just it is so frustrating to me. And this has always been the case, going back to even the days when I was a federal prosecutor, that these idea that they are white-collar criminals. Gee, we didn't use a gun to steal, but we stole a lot, so we we don't deserve to be punished. And, of course, you get judges that guppy into this foolishness, and the rest of us end up suffering. Huh. All right, big story number three. Let me back into this. YouTube. I, I Okay, Easter brunch. I my, my wife had to work, so I'm with my brother and sister-in-law and my 11-year-old nephew. So I, I actually, I asked him, 
I, I was kind of curious because there's this topic I've been carrying around about the new the new hot video game that everybody is playing is this video game called Fortnite. It's kind of like the new uh, Call to Duty. It's uh, and, and so I, I say to my 11 year old nephew, I say, Alex, have, have you been playing Fortnite? And he says, Yeah, I have. And you know, because he'll sit in the basement for as long as my brother and sister-in-law will let him, you know, playing the Internet. Okay, so he's playing these different games. And he says, yeah, yeah, I, I've been doing this, and I'm, I'm pretty decent at it. As a matter of fact, I have my own YouTube channel. This is my 11-year-old nephew. I said, okay, you've got your own YouTube channel? He says, yeah, I've got my own YouTube channel. And I, I said, well, okay, what, what do you do on the, the YouTube channel? He says, well, I, I make videos of me playing this, this game. And he said, there, um, now I'm, I'm kind of curious, number one, that he's making videos of himself playing the game, and number two, that anybody would watch him, you know, doing this. And I said, well, how exactly does it work? He said, well, I, he said, no, I don't see me, but you see me playing, you see the game, and I'm offering commentary over the game and giving tips of this. And I said, okay, um, why, why do you do this? He said, well, I'm, I'm hoping to make money from this. And I said, how do you make money from this? He said, well, if, if I get about a million or so viewers, uh, they're, they're going to pay me. And I said, okay, how many did you have? And he says, oh, about 27 or something. And I'm like, okay, well, so you got a ways to go. But I, I'm just, I'm fascinated by this whole kind of YouTube thing and people who think that they can make money by doing this stuff. Now, I bring this up because the lunatic who was involved at the shooting in YouTube, at YouTube yesterday, this woman... Um, she was, well, I mean, you want to talk about the the package. 38-year-old woman lived in San Diego. She came um, into this country with her parents legally from Iran back in 1996. She was a self-described extremist vegan, um, real active in, like, PETA and stuff like that. She claimed on her social media accounts that YouTube was discriminating against her videos, many of which focused on animal rights and veganism. She also did bizarre musical parodies. I was watching one where she was, like, exercising. Okay? And, and you know, and um, now why, again, why, with all due respect to my nephew, who I love with all my heart, I, I don't understand why anybody would watch him doing commentary of this video game that he's playing. I sure don't understand why somebody would be, you know, watching, you know, this crazy woman doing her, you know, animal rights and veganism and stuff like that. But anyhow, she apparently gets irritated over the fact that um, YouTube has started filtering these things out, not letting people watch, because she felt that that was, well... Uh, angry at that it felt it was kind of limiting her free speech rights and also that it was you know, she was going to be this YouTube star and they were stopping her from I don't know stopping her from reaching her full potential and making a fortune all right so what she did apparently is she visited a gun range hours before she showed up at the company's California campus she was carrying a legally registered pistol um, but she was upset with YouTube. The family had apparently reported her missing on March 31st, and they told the Mountain View Police Department that she hated YouTube and she might be found there. Mountain View um, officers had found her sleeping in her car 
early Tuesday before the shooting and decided she did not pose a threat. Um, Well, apparently they got it wrong. Then she shows up San Bruno, which is a neighboring community in California. Um, She shows up at San Bruno, which is where the YouTube offices are. The police say they didn't get any report from Mountain View that this woman might head there. Um, She shows up on the campus around lunchtime. She starts shooting in the courtyard with her Smith & Wesson 9mm semi-automatic handgun that she had purchased legally. Um, She fired quite a few shots. Doesn't appear that she was targeting specific people. Um, When the police arrived, they found one wounded victim on the site, two others who had fled to a neighboring building, and she was dead from what appeared to be a a self-inflicted gunshot wound. It, It is clear if you watch these videos that this woman was, well, I I don't want to be clinical about this, but uh, she was nuts. I mean, just flat out, full tilt, nuts. And apparently, you know, she had gotten more so and more aggravated as YouTube started um, rolling back, you know, her access and filtering these various videos that she apparently thought was going to make her this just this huge internet sensation and, and the star. So what she decided to do was go get the gun and then go act out in this particular fashion. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here again, we now this wasn't an AR-15. This was a woman who had a handgun. Here again, we have an example of somebody who was clearly mentally disturbed. And I, I think it should have been apparent to anybody. You you watch two or three of these videos, and, and it's clear that this is an extremely troubled woman. Right? Here is my question. Under these circumstances, should we have had red flag laws, that is, laws that make it more difficult for her to be able to obtain a firearm? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, when we have these gun control conversations, I, I try to I, I try to find areas that maybe everybody could agree. And and is one of those where you have clearly people who are troubled. Um that maybe maybe we should stop them from owning guns. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer would be yes. You you look at you look at these videos and you see somebody who's just flat not right. The family clearly, I mean, saw this. They understood this, and when they disappeared, when she disappeared, the family clearly was afraid that she was getting to do exactly what she ended up doing. Don't understand why the police when they found her sleeping in her car, didn't pick up on this, but I don't know what they asked her, and I don't know what she said. But could we agree that that maybe people like this shouldn't have access to firearms? We discuss next. It's 117. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you want this this woman who was involved in, in the YouTube shooting yesterday, if you watch... Well, I haven't seen all her videos, but if you watch a few of them, you clearly see somebody who is really, really, really troubled. And she was allowed to get a handgun and then do what apparently her parents were extremely afraid that she was going to do, which is cause harm to people. They alerted the cops and the cops found her and 
then didn't think that she was a threat. Well, they got that one wrong. But what about this, this bigger point? Um, you know, should she have had access to a firearm in the first place? Jim in New Berlin. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, I, you know, I think whenever they have these red flags, it certainly makes sense that you are able to, to take these weapons away until somebody can determine that these people are safe to have them. Right. Yeah, maybe. Okay, right. Exactly. Maybe this woman is just the greatest actress in the world. And maybe she's just portraying a crazy nutcase on these videos. And she's just as normal, maybe not as normal as me, but as normal as you, Jim. I mean, maybe that's the case, okay? But but you're right. Until you figure that out, you know, shouldn't we maybe try to limit her legal access to firearms? And I understand but, but she... Jeff, yeah? I, I just want to say the reason why I'm surprised to hear you say this is you had a story about a week or two ago about a guy, I think he was in Massachusetts, whose wife had died. He had a bunch of weapons. Mm-hmm. Somebody came to his house. He said, you know, life isn't worth living, blah, blah, blah. Right. They took all his weapons away. He went, well, that's wrong. Now, yep. if they knew that and he would have shot people up, you would have said, well, they had warning signs. Well, the, they're, He's they're, the guy that needed to have his weapons taken away until they were sure he was okay, too. So you can't have it both ways. Well, but no, but you can. And I'll, I'll tell you why, Jim. Thank, now see, here, here's where that there is a, a difference in that particular story. In this case, in that case, you have a guy who is at the lowest moment of, of his life. He's not making threats. He's just saying, gosh, my, my wife has just died. I've got nothing to live for. And, and the idea that that in and of itself is going to be a basis for the government to come in and, and seize all his stuff um, based simply on that statement, I, I don't buy that. In this case, you had a, a pattern, a long-standing pattern of activity, plus somebody who's getting progressively more aggravated. But regardless, I mean, I think the thing that we could agree on, and I do support red flag laws, that's what they're called, which would allow authorities to come in and temporarily take firearms away from people so that they can get into a situation until you can determine whether or not it's just um, especially when you have what is clearly probable cause, I think, and you look at these videos, you somebody getting see somebody getting progressively more and more and more agitated over time, as opposed to just somebody simply saying, gosh, I'm, I just don't know if I have anything to live for. Because my guess is a lot of people, you know, at, at the height of after, you know, within a couple hours of losing a spouse, which is what that story was, they're just like, gosh, I don't I don't know if the sun is ever going to come up tomorrow. Um, that's different than somebody who is demonstrating a pattern of what I think is clear mental illness across a a period of time. And then you get the mom and dad who are calling saying, oh, my gosh, you know, she's she's on the road and we can't find her. And we think she might be heading to YouTube to do violence. And um, then authorities find her and they just let her go. It's 124. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 125, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, the world's largest musical festival, music festival, that would be Summerfest, is set to make its biggest announcement of the year. Summerfest CEO Don Smiley joins John McCure and Melissa Barkley with all the details at 3.30 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. I ran into Don Smiley at opening day, and um, he he gave me a hint as to what that announcement was going to be. And, Gru, I would tell you, but then... They'd have to kill both of us. So, I mean, they're making that announcement a little bit after 3, and Don is going to be with John and Melissa at 3.30 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. I Actually, when I was talking to Don Smiley at opening day, it, 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 
even in Miller Park, it was cold. I mean, it, it was it was cold. And I said, well, hope it's warmer than this for the first day of Summerfest. And he said, uh, yeah, I hope that as well. Hey, you want to talk about accountability. It's going to be an interesting test here. Here's a story. There's this Maguanago student, 17-year-old Maguanago High School student, who is alleged to have told fellow workers that he would end his bloody shooting spree at the school by stabbing people after his ammunition ran out. Okay, the kid has now been, I say kid, he's 17, he's been charged as an adult after he warned students he knew to stay away from school on April 20th, the day he was reportedly considering a bloody assault on police and federal and fellow students. Um, his alarming warning ending when he ended when he said it wasn't, he wasn't afraid to die. Was it just boisterous ballyhoo, the paper asks, voice during a work break, or did he really mean to pull the trigger? So he goes on and on about how he's going to go to the school and he's going to shoot it up and he's going to kill people and then he's willing to die. He's not afraid to die. So um, the workers hear this stuff and um, they they report this. Um, the people that he said this to say, well, you know, we don't know if he was kidding or not. You know, we, we think he was trying to get a reaction from us. To which my response would be, yeah, you know, if somebody comes in to me and says, hey, Jeff, I'm thinking of going over to the high school and killing everybody I find and then killing myself. Yes, that's going to get a bit of a reaction from me. So they weren't sure if, you know, he really intended to do this or not. But uh, the the truth was that, you know, he he was telling this. He apparently told one of his co-workers that he had built an AR-15 uh, to shoot up the school, targeting the police officer assigned to the school first because he was the only one that was that had a gun. All right. Um, if convicted, he's looking at up to 10 years in prison. Um, the school, for their part, gave him the opportunity to finish the school year through a home school program, and the school took no further action. Hmm. So you tell all sorts of people that you're going to come and you're going to murder all your classmates and kill yourself, and you get to finish school through a homeschool program. <clears throat> but here's the interesting thing. The Waukesha District Attorney's Office has now charged this 17-year-old with, you know, uh, with crimes connected with this. The defense is going to be, oh, he was just kidding. He was trying to get a reaction, which he obviously did. The issue to me is going to be what happens. See, because whenever we have these various, whether it's bomb threats or shooting threats or whatever, it's always the first reaction is when you catch the person who did this, you've got to hold them accountable. And then when you do, it's, well, oh, they didn't really intend to do it. We don't want to ruin their lives. Well, I think you have to start making examples of people. And if you're looking for a good place to start, somebody who tells coworkers that he's intending to go to his high school and shoot it up and kill people, I would say that might be a good place to start if you're trying to make an example of someone. And I don't just mean... Here, don't do it again. We're going to put you on 90 days. We're going to give you 30 days in the House of Correction and 90 days or a year of supervision. Maybe some hard time would make people rethink their ideas when it comes to saying stuff like this. Just saying. It's 134. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Baseball is back. The Brewers are 4-1, and one, and I want to send you to Miller Park. Be listening today during the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Sometime between 2 and 3, you will have an opportunity to win a four-pack of tickets to an upcoming game. Actually, the game is going to be Saturday night, March, March, April 21st. Brewers play the Florida Marlins. But not only 
you get a four-pack of tickets to see that game, you're also going to get a $50 gift card courtesy of our sponsor, MelvinMulch.com. How cool is that? It is our Welcome Back Baseball promotion. We're going to be doing it this week and for a couple more weeks as well. Absolutely love it. All right. There was an interesting story in the local newspaper the other day about police chases. Now, we have talked for a while on this program about what I think was one of the not only not only was it a bad politically a bad decision motivated by political correctness, it was a decision that I think endangered the safety of people not only in the city of Milwaukee but in surrounding communities. I am talking about the decision made by Police Chief Ed Flynn, former Police Chief Ed Flynn, to essentially put an end to the ability of Milwaukee police officers to chase people that fled from them. In a nutshell, the rule that Flynn, with the blessing of Tom Barrett, put in place in 2010, said police can only chase if they believe that the people they're chasing has essentially committed a, a crime of violence, right? Well, the reality is you don't know if you're a cop. Most times you don't know why somebody is running from you. You, you don't. All you know is, hey, you see somebody that blows through the red light, you put on the bubble lights to pull them over, and they take off. You don't know why it is they're running. You don't know if they're drunk. You don't know if they've got a kidnap victim in the trunk. You don't know if they're armed to the teeth and have just committed two murders. You just don't know. All you know is that they're running. But in those circumstances, unless you knew why it was that they were running and you had reason to believe that they were running because they had committed a violent crime, you had to let them go. So what this led to was the word got out that you just you just take off. You run. You can drive 95 miles an hour. You can blow through a red light. You can make an obscene gesture at the cops. Don't worry. They're not going to be able to chase you. The word got out to drug dealers, and it used to be back in the day when I was chasing dope peddlers, there, there were stationary drug houses that they would operate out of. Now that's not how drug dealers operate. They've got mobile phones and they've got cars. A lot of times they're stolen cars, so they're constantly changing. They might be driving a different stolen car every night, and they're out there and they've got all sorts of drugs in it, and they're selling dope out of the car. The police would see them. Looks like a drug deal. They would take off. They wouldn't have the authority to chase. And so the guys would just wave goodbye to the police. It would go. It was a disastrous policy. Maybe well-intended, but a disastrous policy. And the word got out that you can run and you won't be followed. Well, all right, finally, after enough people complained, the Fire and Police Commission forced the former chief to do away with that policy. Now, that policy, the no-chase policy, has never extended to the suburban police departments. They get to do what they, they want. Most suburban police departments will, in fact, chase when people run. And again, it's always going to be on a case-by-case basis. They're not going to chase if they think that there's an unreasonable risk of danger, either to the officer or to you know, pedestrians or to you know, other third parties. But there's always a risk that comes with chasing. So the Journal Sentinel has this heavy breathing story um, the, the other day. Milwaukee's policy to limit chases sparks surge of pursuits in neighboring communities. And it goes on to talk about how, um, again, more and more suburbs have, have chased. Over the past five years, the number of chases in Milwaukee County suburbs grew tenfold from 75 to 747 
driving a statewide increase of nearly 200%, says USA Today. Police officials attribute this surge to increasingly brazen car thieves and drug dealers and the Milwaukee Police Department's policy to not chase, which I think, again, emboldened a lot of the people to run. So in some of these suburbs, particularly like Glendale, Greenfield, Wauwatosa, West Allis, where the number of chases have increased, what's also happened is that the number of problems, and that's what I mean, the number of pursuits where you know somebody gets injured. Now, a lot of times, it's the person driving the car that's fleeing. All right, well, you don't want to see that happen, but I guess... Candidly, if you decide that you're, you know, doing a drug deal and you decide to flee from the police and you wrap your car around a tree and bad things happen to you, well, the lesson is maybe you shouldn't have fled. But, you know, they estimate, for example, in Glendale alone, pursuits last year caused about $225,000 in damage and injured 25 people. Ten of the injuries stemmed from one incident involving a stolen car colliding with a, a school bus. But the question that is now being asked is, right, should we go back to the old days? You know, should the suburbs adopt a policy similar to what Milwaukee had, which was essentially, let's let them run away. Let's let them go because it's not worth the risk to people. Let's let them drive off and maybe we'll catch them later on. Let's let them go for another day. Our number, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Every time, and it seems like on an almost daily basis, you can turn on the radio news or turn on the TV news and you'll see a story or sometimes two or three stories in any given night about how police in some suburban, some suburbs or even the city of Milwaukee now have been involved in a high speed chase and it always, almost always ends um, with the, the car that's being chased crashing and people trying to flee. Sometimes folks are hurt in that area. There are some people who say, just let it go. It's not worth it. You know, why should we care if somebody goes through a red light at 95 miles an hour and tries to flee the police? Let them go. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that there is always a risk which comes with trying to apprehend bad guys. I don't think you can have a let them go policy. And I firmly believe that one of the reasons that you've had such an outbreak of drug dealing and crime, including car theft and carjackings over the course of the last few years around here is because we haven't aggressively gone after and tried to catch the bad guys. Now, there's lots of other issues as well, including the joke of a criminal justice system. But I appreciate that every time a police officer undertakes a chase, there is a chance that somebody could get hurt, including some you know innocent third party. I don't think you can have a policy, though, saying, let people drive off. 414-799-1620, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 142, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 145, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Richard in Milwaukee. Richard, hello. Well, hello, how are you today? I am well, thank you. Should we stop chasing people um, when they try to run away? Uh, I would say no, don't stop, because they're going to stop themselves when they hit something. Well, right. Now, unfortunately, sometimes that's something that they hit is another car that's in the intersection or 
Um, you know, and so unfortunately, that's that's the risk that you run when you chase and somebody's driving a hundred miles an hour trying to get away from the cops. Yes, well, that's what insurance is for. But the judicial system, get it out of the judge's hand. Make it a mandatory sentence. I mean, if they're going to do the crime, make them do the time. Well, I, you're, I mean, Richard, thanks. For, you're, you're preaching to the choir on that. I, I mean, the, the this is, I mean, I'm the guy that believes, that I'm the guy that believes mandatory minimum sentencing for crimes committed with firearms, carjackers, minimum of five years in prison. I, I think car thieves, if you're a juvenile, you need to automatically be waived into adult court. If you're stealing cars, we, we need to recognize that this is a problem. And I think you need to give the police the tools. Um, most suburbs will chase. Then you've got places like Bayside. That I mean, Bayside has the failed Milwaukee policy. Bayside, Bayside says their officers only pursue when a felony or serious crime has been committed. But again, the problem is you don't know why somebody runs. I mean, you, you don't know. Sometimes you'll say, oh, we've got a suspect in a murder case and they're fleeing. But most times you don't know. All you know is that somebody's gone through it. Now, the retired, with the emphasis on retired police chief, um, he says, he's quoted in the story saying, when you have a kid driving 80 or 90 miles an hour through a red light, it doesn't justify the end result. To me, it's not worth putting innocent lives in peril. Well, the problem with this is you don't know why that kid drove 90 miles an hour through the red light and then is continuing to run from the cops. You, you just, you don't know that. Is the kid drunk out of his mind? Is the kid stoned? Does the kid have, I don't know, a body in the trunk of his car? You don't know that, and you'll never know that unless you try to catch them. So this politically correct approach to policing where we decide we're going to let people go and then hopefully we'll catch them, well, all that's led to, like I say, I think it's led to the epidemic of car theft around here because you have more and more people who say, all right, I, I, they're looking for, all right, they, they suspected me of dealing drugs. I ran from them. They didn't chase me. Well, I was driving a 2004 you know, Honda the other night. Okay, tonight I'm going out, but I'm not going to be in the 2004 Honda. I'm going to be driving a 2010 Range Rover that one of my posse just stole um, off the street. So it's going to be a different car every day, and they're not going to realize it's the same sort of person. The fact that we did not chase allowed this to be allowed the bad guys to make a mockery of of the system. And I understand that occasionally there is going to be that inevitable situation where, you know, some innocent person is going to get hurt, which is why the police have to use discretion in deciding when they're going to chase and when they're not to. But to simply have a blanket policy that says don't chase is absurd. It did not work in Milwaukee. Now, Bayside's a little bit different. My guess is that there's not that much crime in Bayside where people are going to run from the police. So maybe you can be a little bit circumspect. But why would you tie people's hands? Let's see, I have a text. Uh, Jeff, I'm a law enforcement in a suburb in Milwaukee County, and I'm in 100% agreement with chases going up in the burbs due to Milwaukee's horrible policy was set in place. We're going to have to go back to chasing vehicles, but within reason. Departments need to give the tools to officers. Um... Uh, again, stop sticks, possible GPS deployment systems. Once we set the precedent that we are capturing the bad guys, chases will go down tenfold. A local suburban police officer trying to make a difference. Yeah, see, that's, I think, the thing. Once the word gets out to the drug dealers, to the bad guys, to the carjackers, if you try to run, 
we are going to go after you and we are going to catch you. And then, of course, then the other thing is we're going to prosecute you, which is a whole different story. But don't get me started on that. But if the word goes out that you're not going to be able to just drive away, well, maybe maybe things will change and maybe people will be less likely to run because what we have been doing now has not been working, period. It's 151. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 153, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Coming up in the 2 o'clock hour, in addition to our Brewers ticket giveaway, I have a serious question, and that is, are all these downtown Milwaukee business leaders smoking pot? I mean, I understand it's not technically legal, but I wonder if they're kind of ahead of the curve on legalized marijuana. We're going to talk about that. Uh, no sweatpants for NFL cheerleaders and no lots of other stuff as well. The cheerleaders aren't happy. The National Guard to the border and you know John Kasich, will he be back? So that's all coming up. Stick around the 2 o'clock hour. Gee, who could have seen this coming? There was the story um, the other night, Columbia St. Mary's on the east side, wonderful hospital. 53-year-old guy was arrested after police were called to a stabbing in the parking structure of the hospital um, in, you know, the hip and trendy east side, 2301 North Lake Drive. It's a wonderful hospital. You know, they just kind of rebuilt the thing. What happened, and this is somebody who spent more time in hospitals than I would choose to over the course. I've, I've been in hospitals enough to the last couple of years to last me a lifetime. Woman had been visiting family at the hospital walking to her vehicle about 7:10 Monday in the parking structure when a man tried to rob her at knife point and stabbed her. The guy took the woman's purse, quickly discarded it. Um, he was arrested at 35th and Wisconsin. Woman seriously injured, but is expected to survive. I'm, I'm trying to imagine how horrible that is. You're, you're visiting you know, some relative who's in the hospital. You're in the parking garage. Some guy pulls a knife on you, stabs you, steals your purse. I mean, just another evening, I guess, in Milwaukee. Well, okay, so here's the deal. This is the Journal Sentinel story. They're going to be referring this to the DA for charges. All right. Um, Here's the background of this. This is the dazzling detail. This was not the guy's first time at the rodeo. 2006. 2006. The guy who is responsible or is going to be charged, they believe, with stabbing this woman in the parking garage was convicted of second-degree reckless injury after stabbing two women at a Milwaukee house. Bottom line is he went over to this house where he knew somebody who lived there. They let him in. Um, he ended up pulling a knife and um, like stabbing a couple people. Girl had a 7-centimeter cut on her cheek that required 25 stitches, as well as a cut on the lower lid of her eye and another cut on her neck. Um, another guy, another person stabbed in the ribs, uh, two women who ended up getting stabbed, stabbed in the ribs, had wounds on the top of her head and her arms. So, um, here you have this character who's done this, these stabbings. He ended up getting convicted of second degree recklessly endangering safety. Um, and he ended up, um, being sentenced in 2008. Now, before that, he had had, before the double stabbing, the guy had exhibited aggressive behavior before. He was in custody at the Milwaukee County Jail in February of 2006 for an unspecified offense when he attacked another inmate, repeatedly punching him in the head. Okay, so here you have somebody who's already aggressive behavior, don't know why he was in jail for the first thing, 
2006, he stabs two women significantly. He ends up getting sentenced to 10 years in prison and eight years of extended supervision. So that's in 2008. They've let him out, I think, last August. So he served most of his time. He's now on this extended supervision, which is a joke. And while on extended supervision, he takes a knife and attacks a woman in the parking garage at Columbia St. Mary's on the the east side. Now he's been arrested again. I guess there's a couple points to this. Number one being, what? why do we bother with extended supervision? Obviously, whatever they are doing to try to watch and monitor this guy isn't working. And my guess is it was probably self-evident that it wasn't working. Secondly, I guess, you know, you go back, and I, I understand, I, I don't know that I think a 10-year sentence for those stabbings is unreasonably low, don't know about the background, but it's pretty clear that this guy was a ticking time bomb, and you would have thought that when you were going to dump him back into society, you'd put a whole bunch of restrictions on him, at least so you had some idea that while he's on this extended supervision, he's not going to be wandering. I mean, what's he doing wandering around the streets? And anyhow, you know, in this particular situation, and as a result of this, you now have same guy who probably shouldn't have been on the streets in the first place, who's now uh, been arrested after allegedly stabbing a woman in a parking structure. The only good news that comes from this is that the woman is expected to survive. Nevertheless, she was seriously injured, and she will undoubtedly carry the scars, both physical and mental, from this for the rest of her life, all because of some dangerous guy that was on extended supervision who probably shouldn't have been out of prison in the first place. Okay, when we come back during the 2 o'clock hour, the National Guard to the border, John Kasich is back. Our business leaders high and no sweatpants in public, the life of an NFL cheerleader. Stick around. It's 159. Two oh eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Number of people are saying, What do you think about the elections? Well, we spent a good portion of the first hour talking about that. I I, I understand the Dalit victory to me. Again, I think wake-up call is kind of a cliche, but I do think it's fair to say that um, conservatives slash Republicans have to figure out, you know, what's going to happen over the course of the next several months in Wisconsin. I have seen wave elections, and that's the kind of the best way you can explain it, even though, as I've said, I, I like Mike Skranek, who was the guy that ran for state Supreme Court as a conservative, but um, he didn't have a lot of experience. He was from Sauk County, no offense to Sauk County, but he didn't have a statewide presence. I thought a lot of the advertising that was run by his campaign and on his behalf would just kind of missed the point. So I, I sort of understood that. At the same time, I will say this. The, the one election result from last night that I don't get at all is the state treasurer position. Now, I mean, I, I understand why it happened, because there was this campaign that was funded largely by the left, saying, vote to save the state treasurer because you don't want to allow Scott Walker to have this power grab. We need to have checks and balances, which is just crazy because the state treasurer, there's there's one guy now. He might have one other employee, but the state treasurer's office does nothing now. There's no checks or balances or anything like that. And the example I was giving is, I mean, the state treasurer, who, by the way, the current state treasurer wants to do away with the job. What what does that, that tell you? I mean, the the state treasurer's position, 
and I'm not talking about the individual who holds it now, the state treasurer's position, it is like the character Milton from the, the movie Office Space. You know, the guy that sits around and is worried about everybody's taking his stapler. You know Milton. But I said, I don't care if they lay me off either, because I told, I told Bill that if they move my desk one more time, then, then, I, then I'm quitting. I'm going to quit. And, and I told Dom, too, because they've moved my desk four times already this year, and I used to be over by the window, and I could see the squirrels, and they were married, but then they switched from the swing line to the Boston stapler, but I kept my swing line stapler because... And I get to watch the squirrels, and and they were they were like they were husband and wife. It's just, this is we have saved Milton. Sixty one percent of the people in Wisconsin voted to save Milton yesterday because, in many respects, they got guppied in by this campaign. Say, oh, we need to have checks and balances. State treasurer does absolutely nothing, but we've saved Milton. <sighs> so he will continue to make sixty eight thousand dollars a year. Go figure. All right, I want to revisit something we touched on briefly yesterday because the president is apparently serious about this. Um, the, the border is a problem, and everybody that you talk to, I think when, when we want to talk about immigration reform, says that one of the keys is that before you can have a meaningful discussion about what you do with the 11-plus million people who are in this country illegally – what you have to start with is you got to secure the border to begin with. We have to say, all right, let's let's stop the flow of people coming into this country illegally, and then then we can figure out with the people we have in here, you know, what do we do? Do we create paths to citizenship? Do we create paths to permanent residency? Whatever. But I mean, there is, I think, a general consensus that you have to figure out how you're going to seal the border first. I understand that there are some fringe elements out there who don't think that we should have restrictions on the border and anybody who comes in should be able to come in. Well, I don't think there's too many countries in the world that take that approach. But the president, over the last couple of days, has been talking about wanting to deploy the military to go to help secure the border. And I was a little bit skeptical about this. Now, the president has modified this. The president is now saying rather than active duty military, what he's thinking should perhaps happen is that the National Guard should be deployed to the southern border to, uh, again, deal with the what he calls the growing threat of illegal immigration. So he, he's talking about deployments. Now, typically, that that does not happen. You know, we, we don't use um, the military to do these situations. Um, the National Guard has, an occasion, been deployed in support roles along, you know, the, the border with, with Mexico. Barack Obama did it in 2010 for a brief period of time. President Bush did it for a brief period of time in 2006, um, you know, when, when governors, and governors have done the same. But a, a permanent or a large-scale deployment of members of the National Guard on the border really um, is, is a rarity. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Feel free to uh, disagree with me on this one, because I, I do appreciate that, you know, you have to get the border under control. But as I was trying to argue yesterday, I, I don't think turning the Mexico Mexican-United States border into essentially the equivalent of a demilitarized zone like North Korea and South Korea 
is the best way to go about it. The problem, the biggest problem I think we have right now with some of these caravans and stuff that are coming through is, is right now the way we proceed is that if you get, if you come from somewhere other than Mexico, a non-contiguous country, you come to the border, you step one foot onto the U.S. soil, you say, I want to have asylum, and then you and your family, even if you're taken into custody, you will be released probably within a day, and then you'll be told, come back for a court hearing on your asylum request or deportation, and people never come back, and they just end up filtering into the country. That's where I think you have to start this. Aggressive enforcement of the border, changing laws and changing policies, but do we need the National Guard deployed? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think for a wide variety of reasons, that is not the best way to proceed. I think that's kind of a knee-jerk reaction that is not the best way to solve the problem. 414-799-1620, should we be sending National Guard members, calling them up and sending them to help secure the southern border with presumably that means into Texas, Arizona, and a number of other places as well. 414-799-1620. I think there's simpler and easier ways to handle the problem. What do you think? We discuss next. It's 215. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Come see what's brewing. The Milwaukee Brewers. It's 218. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As promised, baseball is back. This is our Welcome Back Baseball promotion. I want to send you to Miller Park. Tell you what, caller number 13 at 414-799-1620. Caller 13 wins a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play the Florida Marlins. That would be Saturday night, April 21st. And on top of that, they win a $50 gift card courtesy of our sponsor, MelvinMulch.com. How cool is that? We're going to be giving away four packs of tickets as part of our Welcome Back Baseball promotion for the next couple weeks. Um, This week it's going to be during the 2 o'clock hour, but your chance to get to Miller Park. That also, thats um, I'm being told that's Marvel Night. Marvel, of course, Marvel Comics and all the different movies and things like that. You've got the new Avengers movie that's coming out in just a little bit. So um, it's also Marvel Night, I believe. So it's April 21st, chance to see on Saturday night the Brewers. Four and one Brewers play the Florida Marlins, so you can check that out as well. Yeah, this this whole idea of sending the National Guard to the Mexican border, I think, I think it's got the potential to backfire in a big way. Do we need to secure the border? Absolutely. Should we be investing money in border enforcement? Absolutely. Does that mean hiring more border agents? Certainly. Does it mean hiring, you know, more officials to help expedite um, deportation process? Absolutely. Does it mean to taking advantage of all the different high-tech things that are potentially out there? Absolutely. And does it mean changing our fundamental policies and laws, which says that we're going to treat people? Um, again, you, you come into this country, for example, from somewhere in Central America. You say, I want asylum, and instead of keeping you in custody and detaining you while we pursue and determine whether or not you're legitimately entitled to that. All we do now is we let you go, and then we tell you, hey, come back in three months for your hearing. You never come back, and then you're in this country, and we have no way of keeping track of what you do after that. Those are policies that make no sense. 
There's all sorts of common sense things that we can do, and it's time for us to start doing them. 221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, we have our winner of the four-pack of Brewer tickets for today. Be listening uh, tomorrow during the 2 o'clock hour. We'll be giving away another four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers-Marlins game on April 21st. And, of course, the $50 gift card courtesy of our sponsor, MelvinMulch.com. Speaking of the Brewers, the season is only five games old, but already the Brewers own a pair of wins when down to their final strike. They're at it again tonight with the finale with the Cardinals as they try to take two out of three at Miller Park. Bob and Jeff hit the air, 6.05 here on WTMJ. Be sure to check that out. All right, the, the NFL has not been without a ton of controversy lately, some of it self-inflicted. There was the huge Colin Kaepernick and then Neil during the National Anthem thing that turned into, just in my opinion, a complete PR nightmare, something that you know, should have been anticipated and, and dealt with. You have all the litigation involving the former players who've retired and had the concussions. And the NFL, at least initially, took the position that, gee, um, 240-pound guys running as fast as they can and smacking into each other, gee, why could that cause concussions? And and so now I I think, you know, we're, we're starting to see the effects of that, and the league is trying to wrestle with ways to stop players from getting injured and avoid the concussions and then the, the overall problem they have with declining TV ratings based on a lot of factors, including the politics and oversaturation and um, star players who keep getting injured right and left. Now there is the battle involving cheerleaders. Now, what, what might you say is the battle for cheerleaders? Well, most NFL teams, not all, but most NFL teams, Packers I don't think have cheerleaders. Um, Packers do not have cheerleaders, right? Right, yeah, well, they, right, they don't have paid, they don't have paid, right, Bruce says, St. Norbert, yeah, they, they, but, right, what I mean is the professionals that they come in and cheerlead. Um, but most teams do. There's a report in the New York Times over the weekend that, that talks about the, the rules that these NFL teams set up for different cheerleaders. For example, cheerleaders for the California, California, Carolina Panthers, known as the Top Cats, must arrive at the stadium on game days at least five hours before kickout, kickoff. Body piercing and tattoos must be removed or covered. Water breaks can be taken only when the Panthers are on offense. Top cats must leave the stadium to change into their personal attire. Baltimore Ravens cheerleaders are subject or were subject to regular weigh-ins and are expected to maintain ideal body weight, according to a former um, handbook. The Cincinnati Bengals, get it, Bengals, were even more precise in recent years. Cheerleaders had to be within three pounds of their ideal weight. Some cheerleaders must pay hundreds of dollars for their uniforms, yet they make little more than minimum wage. Cheerleaders at some places must sell raffle tickets and calendars and appear at charity events and golf tournaments, yet they receive none of the proceeds. Um, Cheerleader handbook, seven of which have been reviewed by the New York Times, include personal hygiene tips. Um, in some cases, wearing sweatpants in public is forbidden. Across the NFL, teams place extensive controls on how the cheerleaders conduct their lives outside work. Um, this includes limiting their social media activity 
as well as who they choose to date and socialize with. Now, what that means is most of these teams have fraternization policies, which say, you you know, if you're a cheerleader, you can't hang out with the, the players. All right. So you, you have all this going on. Well, this has come to the head because um, there was a cheerleader for the New Orleans Saints who was fired in January, and she's filed a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission um, claiming unfair treatment. She says, look, they've got all these rules that they're applying to us. They are not treating us fairly. There's not a dress code for other sort of players, for players or other personnel. There's not all these different rules that apply to us cheerleaders. We should be treated the same as everyone else. All right, I want to open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. The, the general, I, I think, policy that the NFL has would be that um, being a cheerleader for one of these teams um, is a glamorous job and that, yes, we don't pay you particularly well, and, yes, we have all these different rules, But it's a part-time gig, and yes, when you're a cheerleader and while you're a cheerleader, we have these controls. We say that, you know, you're not going to be allowed to do nude modeling, or you're not going to be able to pose, you know, as a model in swimsuits or things like that, because, you know, we're trying to protect whatever image it is that we want to have for the Cincinnati Bengals or the Carolina Topcats or whatever. So we have all these different rules, and yes, some of them are kind of, what would be the word, onerous. But, but you know, you get to be a cheerleader. And if you don't like these different rules, fine, we can find a hundred other women who would kill to have this gig. Now, the woman from New Orleans, she's suing. She's saying, hey, look, we're being treated differently. We've got these rules that apply to us, and they don't apply to anyone else. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The NFL clubs treat cheerleaders differently than they say say that they treat somebody who's selling tickets um, to the games or somebody who's working in the front office. They do have rules because they view these cheerleaders as part of their image. Is that wrong? I mean, is it wrong? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, is it wrong to say, okay, we're going to have we're going to have weight rules, and, and yeah, we're going to set your ideal weight, and you know, if you don't meet it, well, then you're subject to, to being let go. Is that, under the circumstances, an unreasonable sort of restriction to put on for that job, keeping in mind that nobody puts a gun to your head and says, hey, you, know, you, you have to be a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader? <laughs> It's 2.34, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The new Milwaukee Bucks Arena is 90% complete. Get an inside look with WTMJ's own Doug Russell by texting the word ARENA to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. Yes, a number of my colleagues got uh, uh, late morning yesterday, got a tour of the new arena. Everybody came back saying it's just, uh, I'm just uh, amazing. And one of the things that they were saying is that you're, you're just so much closer in. The Bradley Center, of course, was built as a hockey venue first and foremost. And hockey arenas are different than basketball arenas, um, and that's why you had the huge upper deck, for example. Uh, the new Bucks arena, not going to be like that. Many more seats closer to the floor. 
a more, I guess, intimate would be the experience. All right, what we're talking about right now is there's this big story in the New York Times over the weekend. There's a New Orleans Saint cheerleader, who former cheerleader, who's suing the Saints. Um, she was fired because apparently what happened is she had posed for a, a calendar um, without permission, and they have a rule that says you're not supposed to, pl- you know, you're not supposed to model bikinis or things like that. She posed for a calendar. They fired her. And now she's exposing all these other rules that they have for cheerleaders. It varies from, again, team to team. But they are very, very restrictive rules that limit what you can do and what you can wear. And they don't pay the cheerleaders a whole lot of money. Are the cheerleaders being treated unfairly? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Bob in Hartford. Bob, good afternoon. Bob. Bob, Bob, Bob. Okay, let's try Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Hey, uh, my thoughts are that what you do on the field is the business of the business. What you do off the field, as long as it's not criminal, is your business. The cheerleaders have any right to do whatever they want with their private lives, as uh, long as it's not criminal or, you know, going against the team or whatever. And, uh, and the football players themselves, what they do on the field, kneeling for the national anthem, that should be the team, uh, that should be the football uh, NFL thing you can't do that. You can kneel wherever you want. Go to church and kneel. Well, Mike, let, let me go back to your basic premise, that they should be able to do whatever they want off-premises. Off if you are a – okay, the Packers don't have cheerleaders. The Bears don't have cheerleaders. You're a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader, okay? You are employed by them. Um, you are, in some respects, you represent the franchise to an extent. So if they have a rule saying – all right, no no nude modeling because we don't want you to essentially use us. Um you know, we we don't you know we we don't support the nude modeling type of thing. Um aren't the Dallas Cowboys within their rights to say, "Okay, yeah, it, it's your own time, but we don't want you posing naked for this magazine," for example. Well, uh that's probably a, a way yeah, that's kind of going a little bit off what I was thinking, but well, yeah, right now Maybe some some restrictions, but I mean, uh, in general, I mean, uh, don't wear sweatpants. I mean, give me right. A- well, right, and I, I admit, no, thanks. For, and I admit, I mean, I, I kind of took it to, I sort of took it to the extreme because you started off by saying, well, I, I don't think they have a right to control what people do off, you know, off premises. And I, I mean, I disagree with that. You had um, a, a cheerleader for the New England Patriots. Um, the, the owner of the Patriots is a guy named Robert Kraft. Robert Kraft is very, very active in the, the Jewish community across the country. Big donor, very, very active in, you know, um, anti-defamation type of, of groups. And, you know, does a lot of noteworthy work. So what happened, you remember a couple of years ago, there was a New England Patriots cheerleader who is, and, and I forget, she's at this party and people, I think she was involved in like some guy passes out or something, as I recall the story might have it slightly wrong, but you know, people are are drawing like swastikas on this guy who's drunk or whatever. And they're taking pictures and they're posting it. And you know, it comes back that she's a new England Patriots cheerleader. Well, I, yeah, she got fired. And in my opinion, I guess, you know, she, she deserved to, to be, be fired for that because even though she's on her own time, what she's doing, you know, reflects on on the business, um, you know, whether or not. Now, obviously, they didn't endorse that type of thing. Now, this, this whole idea of you know monitoring people's weight and, and that type of stuff, 
I, they do that in Las Vegas when it comes to the showgirls and things like that. And, you know, is that, I guess I look at it and say, you know, does that treat, you know, the showgirls, for example, differently than you treat, you know, some of the other employees? Yes, you do. But at the same time, you are trying to create this image with the cheerleaders. If I had a daughter, would I want her to be a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader or a uh, Carolina Panther cheerleader? The, the answer is is no. But to me, I guess I liken some of these jobs to the thing you do to like get experience or get exposure. I'm sure a lot of the women that go into this don't intend this to be the be all end all. They're hoping they're going to get discovered and you know end up on TV. Certainly, somewhat like the people who do the reality TV shows, it's something that you end up choosing. Story I'm looking at, they, they quote uh, a former cheerleader for the San Diego Chargers who writes books on audition secrets and is now a, a real estate lawyer. She says, cheerleading changed my life. When I was an NFL cheerleader, I learned a lot about how to speak to the media. I learned about the rules of decorum and professionalism. We were taught how to interact with the staff and the players and everything. The training we had was all for a reason. And looking back, I think it was all for the, the right reason. So it, it's one of those things that you make those sacrifices. Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Uh, hi, Mike. Um, first of all, I think the Packers and the Bears got it right, having no cheerleaders. This is a good reason, you know, we don't need the headache. There's 50,000 cheerleaders in the stands. And the other thing is she got fired for modeling in a calendar or whatever. That was the issue for her. For her to bring up other things that are unfair is just her line and after fact and it is irrelevant. Do you think it was fair to, do you think it was fair to fire her for posing like that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, do. I mean I do too. That that's you know, you're I guess I kinda look at it and say, Okay, you're one of the reasons that you're getting this gig is because people know that you're this kind of cheerleader. So you're you're using that and I mean I understand how the I understand how these sports teams might want to control it. Candidly, I don't think it's that great a gig. They, they don't get paid much of anything. They've got all these different restrictive rules. And my guess is, it, it for the most of them, it doesn't lead to this pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But I don't know that I think that that means that these teams can't have these rules. Right, but they get paid by, you know, uh, with the cloud of having that job. Every girl in the world wants to be a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. Right, or, right. I, and then, I mean, thanks. To, and I, and I think, well, I don't know if every girl in the world, but yeah, a lot of people do. And that's what the NFL's policy is. Hey, you know, if, if you don't want this job, yes, and, and we understand that we pay you, you know, minimum wage. If you don't want this job, fine, we can find lots of people to do it. And, and I will tell you, that's, you know, that's not necessarily unusual around sports. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of positions where they say, hey, you know, this is a really cool job. You get to come to work at the ballpark every day and you get to do these different things. And yeah, we're not going to pay you a lot of money, but, you know, it's a cool job to do. Now, you know, being a cheerleader, I, I think, is, is a tough job. There's, <clears throat> and it's not very well compensated. But again, I liken it to the reason I think a lot of people go into it and they choose this is because they think it's going to be a stepping stone for something else. I mean, otherwise, seriously, who would go on a reality TV show? You mean, you look at these people that go on the reality TV shows and make themselves look like fools. Well, they go on there because they think this is going to be my big break. I'm going to be discovered and I'm going to get this, this huge gig. And other than what was the Amorosa, the one who, you know, ended up for a cup of coffee in the Trump administration, how many of these reality TV stars really go on to something bigger and better? It's 243. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 2.46. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. See the long-term forecast? I mean, they are, 
for the next 10 days, the next 10 days, they're talking about temperatures in the 20s and 30s and 40s, 20 degrees below normal. And not just for today or tomorrow, but moving on. I understand people say, well, you, know, you, you get snow in April. Well, yeah, you, you, you get snow in April, but normally you also get some 50-degree days and stuff. We are in a stretch of really, really miserable weather. And I guess there's no sense in complaining about it. There's nothing you can do. But, man, I'm telling you, I mean, it would be nice to have – couple days where well maybe you'd have like maybe even like the 50s could could that be i'm a golfer and you kind of look and figure all right you know when's golf season going to come and the answer is maybe maybe in june more information is coming out about the shooting at youtube headquarters in california while such incidents with a female shooter are rare the truth is they do in fact happen gene miller takes a closer look at 651 tomorrow on wisconsin's morning news um earlier on i I was talking about to me the, the most Bizarre result of yesterday's election is the fact that 61% of Wisconsin voters voted to keep the position of the state treasurer, which is just the treasurer does nothing. And it does show the power of advertising. They had these liberal groups who were saying, oh, this is all a plot by Scott Walker to try to take over government. We need checks and balances. Huh? You know what? State treasurer does does nothing now anyways. But there is, I think, sometimes this, this kind of sort of mass delusion that's out there. Journal Sentinel had the, the story. The, the Milwaukee streetcar, now they've they've started delivering the cars. The city has been torn up for Lord knows how long. They're now putting in the, the streetcar rails, which are going to be taking away all sorts of lanes of traffic. Um, they're going to be hanging those god-ugly wires that this thing runs on, of course. And so now we're, we're trying to figure out how to put a, a decent face on this. So Journal Sentinel goes out and they interview business leaders. The headline is Downtown Business Leaders Ready to Hop on Milwaukee Streetcar. That of course is a is a play on the name of that they call it the flop. No, no, I mean the hop. That's that's what they're calling it. And um of course it is going to be in an effort to try to make it appear more popular than it will really be. That they've made this deal with Potawatomi to provide free rides for the first year. Um, after that, they're going to have to start charging. It's, like, it's great that Potawatomi stepped forward, although if they wanted to spend money to promote something, you would think that maybe they could do something other than that. But in, in any event, they, they interview all these business leaders. And, uh, again, the, the business leaders, to an extent, maybe they believe this sincerely. Maybe they just been told, like, get on board, and they don't want to run afoul of Tom Barrett. But, uh, I mean, it's I'm looking at one comment after another. One of the, the developer downtown we couldn't be more excited about the launch of the streetcar. This is exactly the type of investment that will help our city attract and retain top quality talent, foster new economic development, and build our property tax base. It will also help alleviate parking pressure downtown and make all of our great attractions in our city more accessible for residents, employees, and visitors. I read this. And I swear, I wonder whether or not pot has already been legalized. I mean, this is one of the developers downtown who's saying, we couldn't be more excited about the launch of the streetcar. The type of investment that will help Milwaukee attract and retain top quality talent. Yep, 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 yep. I'm a top quality, I don't know, heart surgeon. I'm, I'm going to go to Milwaukee because they've got the streetcar that runs from the bus depot down to the Lower East Side, that 2.1-mile radius. Huh. 
I don't know what sort of top talent that is going to be attracting. Foster new economic development. Hmm. Well, maybe maybe along that limited, narrow route, you might get, I don't know, a couple coffee shops or something else. But, gee, I'm going to build an office building because the, the streetcar is going to be running in front of it. I don't think so. And then help alleviate parking pressure downtown. Well, only because, again, by taking up some of the space that it's taking up, the effect of this is going to be making it very, very difficult to um, drive downtown. So if the idea is that you want to force people out of cars, well, okay, because then, you know, it's going to alleviate parking pressure because people aren't going to be able to navigate around downtown. Well, okay, I mean, I get that point, but I guess I'm not sure that's really the way to build a, a downtown to make it difficult for people to drive there. All right, they uh, go to somebody else. I'm looking at this from the business uh, business improvement district. We're really excited that the first vehicle has arrived. Anticipation for the system to open is growing as track construction nears completion and vehicle testing is about to begin. As downtown and the city continues to boom with new development, the hop will help unlock more of those opportunities to grow the tax base and create jobs while enhancing our multimodal connectivity. Really? I mean, if the idea was to move people around, you don't need to tear up the streets, put in God-ugly wires, eliminate all sorts of lanes of traffic and parking. If the idea was, gee, we just really need to figure out more ways to get people around, well, you, you go with a rubber tire trolley system that you can then, I don't know, adjust. So when people want to go down to the lakefront, fine, you can take care of it. When people, you know... When there's a need to say, hey, there's going to be a playoff game at Miller Park, so you know maybe we need to put in some extra buses or some of these rubber tire trolleys so we can drive from the bus depot um, along Canal Street, get it out to Miller Park for those couple days that they have the playoffs. I mean, I could understand stuff like that. That's the way it seems to me that you approach transit. But again, there was this... You know, a piece in the newspaper where they interview all these supposed business leaders who all pretend to be excited about this. I, I, I wonder, I, this is one of these stories that I've actually decided to save because two or three years from now, when nobody is riding this thing, the question is going to be, gee, you know, how are these people going to feel then um, when they were predicting all these bright and shiny things? Um, it'll be interesting to see. All right, when we come back. John McCure, Melissa Barkley will find out what they've got on their mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around. It's 253. This is Jeff Wagner.